Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. Sustainable Stories is here to bring you the stories behind sustainability in our communities. From big to small, practical to theoretical, we're exploring the people and projects that are working to make our world a more sustainable, equitable, and healthy place to live. Welcome back to the Sustainable Stories podcast. My name is Jenna Inglot, and I will be your host for today's episode. I'm coming to you today from my home uh, near Blaine Lake, Saskatchewan on Treaty 6 territory. And I'm very excited to have with me Dr. Wanda Martin, who is an associate professor within the College of Nursing at the University of Saskatchewan. She, a lot of her work focuses around um, public health and food security and urban agriculture but she also lives at Radiance Co-Housing, which is a really interesting community in Saskatoon and a fantastic example of a super energy efficient home and, and place to live in Saskatoon. So those of you who have been listeners for a while, you know that that topic is near and dear to my heart, but I'm really excited to chat with Wanda today about all of her experience and and kind of weaving that into her professional work as well. So welcome, Wanda. Thanks for being here today. Thanks for having me. So just to start us off, could you just tell us a, a little bit about yourself and, and who you are and what you do and, and kind of a little bit about the journey that led you to where you are today? Sure. So um, I am uh, I'm a nurse, first and foremost, um, with a PhD, so a doctor nurse, which confuses people. Uh, I, um, I came to Saskatoon about six years ago, I after I completed my PhD uh, in Victoria, um, I was uh, I applied here thinking I would use it as a test run for interviews in the academic world and I really liked it so uh, and I really liked what the university had to offer so I moved here and uh, and had the position at, at USASC teaching nursing and so I teach uh, community health nursing and nursing research and I have graduate students and all that sort of thing so uh, when I moved here I needed a house so I thought okay I've never owned a house before and my husband and my cat came along and we ran into, well, I was looking, I was interested in um, the sharing economy and I was meeting people and trying to develop my program of research. And somebody said, Oh, have you met Shannon Dick? And and she was just presenting at our conference and they're doing this fantastic um, uh, co-housing environmentally friendly build uh, you might be interested in it. And so we got in touch and I was like, here's my money. Like, <laughs> I come in, although they weren't ready to take my money quite yet. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so I, I, when I got involved with the Radiance group, it really solidified my being in Saskatoon. Um, there was uh, an, uh, an automatic group that you became part of. So the transition to moving to the city made it really easy. And, and it was just a fantastic journey to get to where we are now, sitting in my passive house. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, I, I love that. And I think it's interesting that 
where you are today. I was actually on a walk on my lunch break today and I thought, you know what? These are the best days to live in a passive house. You know, you're like looking at the sun and it's at the perfect angle and you don't need any, you know what I mean? You're, there's no heating, there's no cooling. It's just, it's wonderful. So <laughs> um, that's very cool. Um, so can you talk a, a little bit more about that? I, I know I asked you this question before we started um, our episode here, Wanda, but chat a little bit about the process at Radiance co-housing. So I know you had mentioned like, you, you know, you, you own a place there um, and it's sort of that collaborative sort of sharing type of environment. Um, yeah. Could you just chat a little bit more about what that looks like in terms of the practical day-to-day -day or decision-making pieces? You can chat about early on in the build and then sort of as it is a little bit today too. Yeah, sure. We, um, so we worked with um, uh, uh, architecture architecture design crystal who who from building studio who did your house as well and i love that podcast i had a listen um uh it's so um we're co-housing we're co-housing passive house with permaculture grounds with uh solar panels on the roof and an electric car in the yard so it's kind of a big package of of everything so the solar panels belong to the solar co-op the car belongs to the car share co-op. And then we as a group worked on, um, worked with Crystal in designing the entire build. And then we worked, we became a development company and we worked with the contractors to build it. So Mike, who is our main engineer, Mike Nemeth, he, um, he is a Passive House consultant. So he worked with, everybody to all of the teams um, to get it to passive house standard and what that meant. We also have uh, insulation in this building that's called Gutex, which comes from Germany and it's we're a test site for them because uh, they've never been used like this product. They'd like to get this product into Canada. It's a byproduct of uh, like the sawdust uh, wood, wood milling, right? So it's a sawdust based it has some stuff in it. I'm not sure. I don't know the detail girls on the, on the uh, ins and outs of the building, but this stuff is, there's, mon there's uh, uh, sensors in the walls to monitor the effectiveness of this type of uh, insulation. And uh, so that's been sort of an interesting process as well, just being innovative in that way. But so in a passive house, for those people who don't know, um, the walls are uh, 18 inches thick. We have, so it's super insulated, it's airtight. Um, we have south-facing windows. So the I have a, um, a very small unit. I've got the smallest one by choice. Uh, and uh, my entire south wall is window. And so, um, and it uh, was designed to maximize winter sun and minimize summer sun. Uh, so the, you know, you just sort of work with where the sun's at and how warm or cold you want it and pull the blinds accordingly or open a window if you need to. But we also have a ventilation system. So we always have fresh air and um, there are five components that I should know them of Passive House, but it's, um, uh, we're on the way to becoming certified. So we haven't completed all of our blower door test uh, things as yet, but um, the the goal is to be a certified uh, building for the, it's eight families. So there are um, 
uh, units that can be certified and my unit is too small to be certified. There has to be a certain square footage. So working with Crystal meant that we could each design our own interiors. And so every unit uh, is different. A uh, few people have um, adopted each other's floor plan, but, uh, but all of our own. So I have, you know, the um, uh, cork floor and the quartz countertop and the European appliances and my neighbor has all Ikea stuff, right? So it's sort of like, where did you want to put your money and your energy? So that was kind of the the real fun part that you can look at two square footages of units and they look totally different when you go into them. So that can be fun. And then the yard is amazing. Um, So uh, Shannon Dick is um, uh, permaculture design and among other things that she does. And so she's designed the entire um, grounds. And so we have a shared courtyard between two buildings. And uh, in that courtyard is a dry stream. And so we have um, rainwater comes off the roof and we have, uh, uh, I can never remember the size of this water tank, but we have an underground water tank uh, in the center of the dry stream. And we use that water to water all of the perennials. And then we have uh, just a ton of edible food. Um, we've got apple trees and plum and uh, rhubarb and berries and goji berries and Saskatoon berries. And it's just been, it's an amazing sort of venture through, uh, you know, raspberry and mint and herbs. And, <laughs> and we it. all, um, we all share that, the like the, the food and it's, yeah, well, it's only been two years. This is this will be our third summer of growth. So we're really looking forward to seeing all of our fruit trees uh, really um, get bigger. But we did have apples last year, so we were happy. Nice. So that's kind of, I don't know, did I miss anything? Yeah, that's awesome. I'm just, that I know, I know there's a lot for sure. And you're already, you're, you're name dropping a few folks. And when you were talking about the sawdust insulation, you're like, I don't know what it's called. I'm thinking, I should ask Mike to be on the podcast. <laughs> He's also someone who would be great to chat with Absolutely, some of the more yeah. technical, the yeah. more technical stuff that even me, I'm like, yeah, we yeah. put the thing in the thing and, you know, I can swing a hammer, but I kind of forget what things are called. So <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I hear you there. I really didn't talk about co-housing and what co-housing is, which I don't think a lot of people really grasp that as well. So we're not, you know, we are a condo structure. But we did come into this as a group and we formed our own development company and we um, and then we now we are a condo structure. So every owner is a member and we have two units that we do that the owners are currently renting out. But the intention for at least one is to um, uh, come to move here when they want, are ready to downsize. And um, the other one is for sale. So if, if people <laughs> want to come and take a look, um, but it's um, uh, co-housing is a different, a very interesting structure because the intent is that we um, know each other, but we don't live together. It's knowing your neighbor, but there's not, and we have one shared space. And so within that shared, like that's where we um, would have uh, our meetings. 
pre-COVID and, uh, and that people can book the room. And so where I sit for my office is actually our guest room and everybody can um, book this. And so they don't have to have family and friends don't, wouldn't come to and stay with them in their place. They would stay here. Uh, and of course I would be, I would move my office downstairs for that, but yeah, so it's, it's, um, you know, it's nice to have people, you know, um, we do things, a lot of things together. Um, there's, you know, some people who are really uh, into crafts and so we'll do some of those things together. We'll have the occasional game night. So it's, it's sort of having your group of friends um, live next to each other. But you're not um, like you're not in each other's back pocket. Like you don't really, you know, if unless they come out to the courtyard, you wouldn't. You don't really know what's going on in their house. So it's not um, it's not incestuous or anything. <laughs> you know, people think co-housing and they kind of freak out a little bit. But we're multi generational as well. So we've got two families with uh, that have had babies in the last year and a half, I guess, um, and. Um, and then there's a bunch of us that are the over 55 uh, sort of crowd there. So, so it's kind of like half and half in terms of age groups. And so it's kind of nice because we can pop out and say, hey, does anybody have a cup of sugar? And somebody's always got something you need or they're going to the store for you or. Yeah. yeah. So that's co-housing there. Cool. I I love that. And I think. I, it speaks so well to, you know, I spent 10 years of my life living in the city from the time I graduated high school until two years ago. And, and, you know, I have spent a lot of it living in, you know, university dorms and then tiny apartments and then houses packed full of roommates. And then eventually at the end of that, um, I, I lived in a, in a home, uh, and, but it was in the suburb part of, of Saskatoon. And I just, you know, it, it's a different kind of community and, and I really missed that. And I mean, that's, that's an, it was a neighborhood, but I never really got to know, um, my neighbors. And when, and when you put in the effort to try, that wasn't always necessarily reciprocal. So it's very cool that, you know, what you guys have done at, at Radiance is, is, is focused on, you know, when we, when we talk sustainability on this podcast, and I'm sure this relates very much to your professional work as well, but you know, it's much more holistic than just the environmental side of things. And, and community is such a huge part of that. Right. And so what you guys have done is I think, or at least from it, what it sounds is really tried to recreate that, like that connection to, to each other and, and to people and kind of the humanness side of living, living, you know, in, in urban environments, which in a lot of ways, the way that cities have been developed at least over the last 20 years has sort of taken away from that sense of community and people are, uh, you know, off very far from each other and spread out from the center. So, yeah. That was a, uh, that was a real core um, concept at the beginning was where would we put the building? Where could we afford to put the building? Because being your own developer is challenging. <laughs> it was interesting. Um, so we did want to be as close to the core and do the in, like, work on that infill problem that Saskatoon has. And so we, we were lucky to be able to find a south-facing um, space that is large enough. So we're actually built on uh, five, what would be five city lots. 
and uh, there are eight families. So the density is um, really important as well, right? So it's sort of trying to meet those goals beyond just, um, uh, you know, having neighbors that you know, it's, it's what does, you know, the goals that the city has for infill and for density. And then also um, we share things. So we're like, we don't have any grass, so we don't need a lawnmower, which was great. Um, and uh, we, but, you know, we have, we have shared tools. So, you know, you only need one set of, of the things that every household would need. Otherwise, we've got a couple of shovels that we share uh, shoveling and, um, but, you know, you don't need a whole lot of stuff. And so usually somebody has something, we've got a shared equipment list. Um, we share kitchen appliances. Like we so we've created a shared list. Someone, if someone's looking for something, you just have a look at the list or send out an email. Does anybody have this I can borrow? So it really cuts down on everybody owning the the exact same thing, right? How many drills does a household need, right? So, I mean, yeah. we all practically have a drill, but <laughs> <laughs> there are tools that we can share across as well. Like I'd never have a table saw, but my neighbor has one. We keep it in the shared space. If I need to use a table saw, there it is, right? So it's handy. Yeah, that's incredible. And this reminds me of very early on in the podcast, um, I, I had a guest on who was talking about waste and waste reduction and and sort of, you know, working towards zero waste. And, and the sharing economy is a huge piece of that. And, um, you know, that's one thing I sort of, since moving back rurally, I've appreciated again is, you know, we now have two pieces of equipment here that are owned sort of collectively by three different, um, you know, farms in the area, because not everybody needs to own a wood splitter. I mean, we all have wood heat. That's how most people out here predominantly heat their homes, but like, does everybody need to own one? No, you only need it for one weekend of the year. So we may as well sort of pass it around and, you know, you schedule your weekend and book a weekend that works for you and you use it for your three or four days and then pass it on to the next person. And, and yeah, it's something it's, it's slowly coming back, but I even felt myself having to kind of retrain my brain away from feeling bad for asking to borrow something from someone. And I don't know where that came from because I was, you know, I wasn't necessarily always like that, but it, it, it was like retraining myself to be like, no, no, sharing is good. Like it's okay to borrow things. Like we borrowing things is such a huge part of, of, of building communities. So yeah. Anyways, very cool. Um. So I, I kind of want to dive in a little bit to your your professional work, um, Wanda. And I was reading it, you know, I was reading a bit about some of your work in kind of urban agriculture and and sort of food security and 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 health. And so I'm curious a little bit about you know what kind of stuff you're working on at the moment, and um, you know, chat a bit about. I'm sure there's some parallels here between your living and your personal life and the stuff at Radiance and and what you do at a professional level as well. Yeah, the, it's uh, you get so uh, interested and enthusiastic about what's you know what you're experiencing when you're doing a build like this and and being around the people that I'm around that it it does you just want to 
make it part of your professional life as well. But um, I did I did my PhD on food security and food safety and the the uh, intersection between food security and food safety as core public health functions in British Columbia. Uh, so at the time, there was a lot of um, challenges with uh, the way that food safety uh, regulations were impacting food security initiatives. And so when I say food security, I mean community food security and the way that food systems and the way that communities access food systems. Um, so there's, you know, not, I, I don't deal as much with um, people who are suffering from not having enough food. It's more about communities. So there's a distinction there. But um, so, so that was sort of the, the thing that I started with in thinking around community gardens and I, um, had nurses, uh, nursing students work with me in the community garden at the University of Victoria. And that got me down this path of, of food security as a, as a career path. Uh, and but when I when I got here, and when I got more involved with these guys, um, it, it became more about climate adaptation. And how do we uh, think about the food system in terms of climate and what we're going to be facing as we experience erratic weather patterns. And so that's the, you know, the idea of building resilient communities and what does that mean on the big picture? So that includes food, that includes um, energy and energy poverty is um, sort of a new way, new pathway that I'm starting to explore more and more. Uh, and uh, the built environment. So that, you know, what are the trees and, and the, the um, infrastructure that we have in the city that um, relates to natural um, settings? So how much does uh, the, the, you know, the trees that you have in your neighborhood, the neighborhoods with more trees, let's put it this way, um, um, have people have better mental health uh, so there's air quality issues and um, all sorts of things. And so we know that trees in and of themselves are a good carbon sink. Um, and we know that cities are terrible with um, off-gassing. So um, how do we work better to have cities that have more growth? Um, and so whether that's gardens or whether that's um, parks, and how do we how do we ensure that that really happens in areas that particularly need it the most? So if you're looking at uh, so radiance is um, between it's in West Industrial, so it's just um, west of Riversdale. And if you think about how many trees and what that looks like around here, I mean we've got Optimus Park, and that's one park, right? So. Um, there's not a lot. And so if we had, like, how can we green up this area better and, um, and see how we can actually improve people's mental health as well? Like it, it goes hand in hand. So that's kind of been an interesting thing we've been looking at more and more. But um, the urban agriculture has been really uh, interesting. And I, I was um, the face of urban chickens for a while. And uh, the last time that the city of Saskatoon uh, took it to city council, um, I was the spokesperson because I was the only one in the group who didn't actually have chickens. 
Uh, so I, <laughs> there's no threat of them coming to take my chickens away. But um, I, that started with really just, I was trying to work with the Food Council on developing an urban agriculture action plan for the city. And uh, so we did a, a small study on that and then that spun off because I respond in my research to community partners. And so what it is that communities are looking for in terms of research and applied research, then uh, I see if I can help to facilitate that and, and move that up forward for them. So there was a group that was interested in urban chickens and we, um, we, I think other people will take it up and I, my files are available for people to get, get a hold of me and if they want to advance that idea and go back to City Hall and try to make another case for it. Um, I think the time will come. I think it's important to have um, small animals in people's lives and uh, five chickens in your backyard is not a problem. They don't smell, they're not loud. Uh, there, you know, it's, um, and, and we had an entire pilot project plan and everything. So it's still there. And the paper on that one is still yet to be published, but it will get out eventually. The other thing I work on is, um, like reducing health inequities. So, um, I, I, all of my work has that component in it is that how do we look at people who are more vulnerable and, um, more at risk of, poor health outcomes and how how do we advance programs and services in order to make sure that the people that are sitting within that range can actually have improved health outcomes so that's kind of the overarching of what i do in my research yeah <laughs> wow that's that's incredible all very relevant topics for for this this podcast and and what we try to share here so that's amazing um it's also interesting you you said the term well you said a few things that popped out for me but this concept of community resiliency and building resiliency in in communities and I, I know for myself so my you know work in sustainability has largely been um, in, in the energy space renewable energy space uh, but you know over the past three or four years has really shifted to um, community energy planning and energy security and and energy poverty and and how all these things link and and so much of it is you know so much what, what you were talking about around food security and and urban agriculture like all of these things are so interconnected and I think um, you know thinking about it I mean we can't all do all of the things but that's where you know there's kind of a need for collaboration in a lot of ways but tackling things in silos is not going to work as we, you know, as we need to do climate adaptation and, and probably are going to need to do it quick, quicker than we currently are. There's going to be such a, such a need for all of these, these topics to, to really be interconnected. And if you aren't the expert in something, then, you know, find someone who is and, and bring them in and a part of the team. But, um, you know, your experience is super broad and, and kind of, links all those things not just in your professional life but in your in your day-to-day -day as well so that's yeah very cool that's awesome so yeah. i I'm, I'm curious wanda um just in terms of maybe as a way to to finish off or, or leave us off um you know you you said a few times like uh, you know, you wanted to have the smallest unit or, you know, talking about that kind of living small piece. Um, 
I'm curious about, so you've talked a bit about, you know, radiance and, and the co-housing and, and your professional work and your research. I'm curious about if there's any sort of other ways that you kind of incorporate sustainability or environmental consciousness into your day-to-day life and what that looks like. And then if, if you're, if you want to, um, just touching on that living, living small piece, cause I'm, I likewise am interested in that. And we kind of structured our whole build to be as small as possible rather than saying like, oh, here's our budget. We should max ourselves out in terms of size of home. So anyways, I'm just curious about sort of other areas of your life where you, you know, you kind of focus on that sustainability lens. So. Yeah. And when, you know, when you do your, your um, carbon footprint and how many, how many earths, I don't know if you've done the, how many yeah. earths does it take to, to, uh, and I mean, COVID's been great for me that way because my hardest thing has been to get out of an airplane because as an academic, you're always flying here and there and, and everything. So it's, um, and my parents live on the East coast and my, a lot of friends on the West coast. And so, you know, last year, the, like the, the year before COVID, I actually was in Africa and went to New Zealand and came back to Canada and then went back to Africa. So I did the whole round the world on an airplane. And, you know, and that really makes me feel yucky. <laughs> but, you know, oh, I have this great opportunity to do these things and I should, take, you know, do them while I can. Um, so that that is that kind of what I think I'm like I'm most working on is that um, uh, how do I how do I reduce that piece? So so far so good. COVID has has got me down to less than one Earth uh, in my footprint, which is really nice. Um, so I, I don't own a car, and I haven't owned one uh, since I started nursing school in '97. I sold my vehicle in order. So we lived in our vehicle. Voluntary simplicity was has always been our um, catchphrase. So we lived in a van on the West Coast for four years. And then I decided I should probably get a job. And <laughs> that's when I so that's when I went into nursing. And um, and while I, I uh, I've never actually worked in a hospital, um, and I and the smell of hospitals almost make me nauseous. Um, I all of my degrees are in nursing. Um, so as a public health nurse, of course, I don't have to work in a hospital. So that's worked out really quite well. Um, but the idea of living small has always been part of of our philosophy, as my husband and I, and of course. We're child-free as well, and child-free by choice, um, and so that helps as well to live small. So I think people have to understand that um, one lifestyle is it'll work for certain people, but it's not going to work if you, you know, if you've got kids, you're going to need. You may need, you may feel you need a car, and at least in this city, I mean, you don't in Victoria, but um, uh, so there's you know certain ways that we could live more simply in Saskatoon if the city would be arranged in a way in which we could do that. So um, we have the car share here, which has been great because I don't have to own it. I can use it when it, you know, when it's there and, uh, and go and do any big errands that I need to go to, you know, that I can't carry on a bike. 
And so that's, you know, that's, I think that's the worst thing about Saskatoon is that there's no grocery store within walking distance that yeah. is, uh, you know, well, there are, there, my, my husband has ide- identified, you know, the grocery stores he can walk to, so he can do a 20 minute walk, um, get groceries, carry them in a backpack and bring them home. So things like that. But there are certain items that are just too big to do that with like cat litter. So trying to keep things really simple on those uh, on that level and then you know we grow as much of our food like we we have a plot here we've got a community garden plot as well so i like to grow food um and then i like to um like eat a very simple diet so i i'm not vegan um or vegetarian um but i do participate in like vegan days and you know we have at least one vegetarian meal a week if not more than one and I buy all my meat locally from farmers that I know and uh, so I I get whole animals often or we'll get a a whole lot of chickens at once Um, so uh, but you know when the farmer's market moved out of our area I was devastated but the little market box popped up as a place where all of the you know all of the stuff that was at the farmer's market is still available so it's uh, you know it's challenging to think about how you can reorganize your life uh, in order to meet simple goals but I think number one is to eat simply so as you know few processed foods as possible and that's the best overall for the climate is to have a, a simple plant-based plant-based diet as much as you as you can, and then really to uh, try to get out of your car and active transportation. So you know, uh, I have a bike, I have a bike trailer, um, I take the bus to work when I was going in to work, and. Um, uh, or I walk and that's, you know, I use the car on, and even the electric car, I only use it when I need it. So mm-hmm. um, things like that. We, we'd also don't buy a lot of clothes. We, you know, I still have clothes from the nineties. Um, right. So it's, it's keeping things really um, as simple as possible and reusing as much as possible. And then sharing, yeah. of course, helps. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah. And I think, well, your clothes from the nineties are now back in style. So you're good to go. <laughs> um, my mom, my mom always <laughs> jokes about that. She's like, Oh, look at this, you know, we'll be doing something. And, and she'll be like, Oh, look at those jeans. Like I had a pair of jeans just, or I have a pair of jeans just like that. They're buried somewhere in my closet. She's like, see, this is why I never get rid of anything. <laughs> She's like, it'll always be back in style. I'm like, yeah, good job, mom. That's awesome. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. And I think, you know, it, one of the things that we try to do with this podcast is just kind of share different stories of what people are doing. And, and yours is such a great example that, you know, it, it's not easy. It's not the easiest city for sure, Saskatoon, in terms of, um, you know, doing things differently and living sustainably, but there are ways to do it. And there are opportunities to kind of push ourselves to, to do that. And it's funny, you mentioned like active transportation um, I thought a lot about this when I was living kind of, at, so I was living in Evergreen in, in Saskatoon and my walk to the grocery store, um, you know, was about 45 minutes to the grocery store and then 45 minutes home from the grocery store, which is a long walk. Um, but at the time I was always wearing a 
Fitbit watch and I would walk for groceries and then I'd come home from groceries and I'd look at how many calories I burned in going to get groceries. And I was like, but then we all get in our cars and we drive to the gym and I burn way more calories going for groceries than I ever have in a workout at the gym ever. So I'm just like, why don't we just do this more often? Like, you know, bundle up and go for a walk, get my groceries and come back. No need for a gym membership. <laughs> so. Speaking of if you're carrying a backpack and you've got the extra weight going home, like that's a good workout. Absolutely. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Your husband probably knows he's, the, you know, the backpack is, what are you, where, are you, where are you off to? I'll just groceries for the week like it's yeah it works so that's awesome yeah. yeah well thank you so much Wanda for taking the time to be with me today and participate in the podcast we have many things I'm sure we could talk a lot about so maybe we'll bug you in the future to come back on the podcast and share a bit more about some of these topics but thank you so much for taking the time to be with me today great thanks it's been nice talking with you Jenna thanks Thank you for tuning into this week's episode of the Sustainable Stories podcast. This podcast is hosted by myself, Jenna Inglot, as well as Roxanne Wagner from Sage Sustainable Solutions Consulting. For a full list of episodes, as well as more information about Sage, check us out online at sagesustainable.com. And as always, we welcome your feedback, thoughts, and suggestions. Catch you next time.